1: Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookstarks Community Manager. Today's episode is all about preschool. And my guest, Erin Cox, is a homeschool mom of four from adult down to elementary. She is the creator of The Gentle Classical Press. And we're going to be just discussing maybe some of the things you don't think about when you hear the word preschool. You may be thinking, what um numbers do I use? Or how far do I go? Or what should they be learning? We're going to get into that a little bit, but I think we're really going to be focusing on maybe the questions you
2: don't even know you should be asking.
1: So let me bring my guest in. Erin, thanks so much for being here. Hi, hey,
2: Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
1: I'm excited too, because I unfortunately did not formally homeschool my children at the preschool age. And mm-hmm. looking back... Shoulda, woulda, coulda. I think as we all get into a certain age range, we start looking back and and reminiscing about the things we could have done. And the types of things that probably I think I would have wanted to do if I were to homeschool my child from the very beginning is really contrary to what really needs to be done at this age. So you are going to really set me straight in all of these things. (laughs) I would love to hear first and foremost,
2: how did you come into homeschooling? Okay, so we've been homeschooling for 12 years now. And um, I had homeschooling like just on my heart from the time I was pregnant with my oldest child. I didn't know any homeschoolers. I, I knew nothing about it. But somehow in all of my Goodwill and thrift store shopping for her nursery and her first, you know, all the things that you need when you need to have a baby. Um, I ran across the Charlotte Mason Companion from uh, Karen Andriola. And I just remember sitting there in her nursery. I had it all prepped, very, very pregnant with her and reading this book. And it just introduced me to ideas about education and about parenting that I had never been exposed to before. And it just planted little seeds in my heart about goodness and beauty and gentleness in parenting and education and all the things that are our education that were very contrary to what I would have considered education, being a public school student myself. And so I just kind of like those little seeds were planted and, but I needed to work. I could not just, you know, not work at that time. And so fast forward a few years, my younger um, daughter was just starting preschool. My older daughter was in second grade and I was in a super stressful job. Like one of those jobs that's just like, if I don't leave this job now, I'm going to lose my sanity. And I just quit one day and I felt so much conviction to pull my daughter out of preschool and just try it. And really I couldn't afford preschool at the time. So I was like unemployed. And um, fortunately, like everything worked out where I just took this big leap of faith jumped in with both feet with her and my husband's income, like doubled in, in like two months to make up for my lack of income. And um, then by Christmas of that year, my second grader was like, mom, I want to be homeschooled too. And so that was a lot more terrifying because it was a lot easier for me to start with a preschooler who really doesn't have to learn things. Like it was very light. There was no pressure. There was no expectation. So, over Christmas break that year, I pulled my older daughter Isabella out of second grade, and we just kind of gave it a test run during that, you know, that two week period. And we started with Um, Little House on the Prairie, because why not? You know, and we just did all the things that that they would do. We smoked meat and everything that they did in there that I could think, oh, we can do that. We just kind of jumped in, I guess, with very much like a unit study, hands-on learning, because that was so important to me. That's what I felt like I missed out on in education was just experiential learning. And so we fell in love and just really haven't looked back since then. Um, And, you know, over time, of course, Charlotte Mason was my very first introduction to homeschooling at all. And then we moved into, I learned about classical education through the well-trained mind. And then I've just dug deeper and deeper and deeper into those philosophies um, over these past 12 years. And so now we have four kiddos that, well, the oldest is graduated. So I do have a homeschool graduate. So we have three that we are still currently homeschooling.
1: For the listener who may be hearing these terms in the homeschool world, Charlotte Mason, the classical way of learning. Can you give us just a quick overview of what those two specific things entail?
2: Absolutely. So Charlotte Mason was an educator in the Victorian era, late 1800s, uh, early 1900s. And, her educational perspective, her philosophy of education at that time was a little countercultural, cultural um, And it saw the children as whole people, like they are born persons. They're not just like an empty vessel or empty lump of clay that you're just molding into something. They already are just people who have specific natures and personalities and interests and abilities. And so she saw children as as that and that you would just pull from them and help to help them realize their natural innate potential um, and that you would do so in a way that like that is living to children. So not dry, boring textbooks, endless memorization um, learning, you know, maybe Latin in when they're seven years old, those types of things. But I Exposing children to ideas that really engage their imagination, that created pictures in their minds of everything that they would be learning about. So it's a very literature um, based type of learning. You're not really reading textbooks, you're reading books, which are living books, and a living book would be would be defined as a book that was written by someone who is truly passionate about a subject so that when they describe it, you feel like you're standing beside them watching everything happen. Um, So that was kind of, and then having children out in nature and um, letting them be little and play for as long as possible. And just all of those things are very like Charlotte Mason ideas and then classical education and, you know not to get into the weeds at all but there are people that argue that Charlotte Mason is a classical educator and some that are not i i am in the she is a classical educator so Classical education is just like the type structures of education that have been around for literally thousands of years um, from like Greek, have Greek and Roman origins. And it's basically an idea, again, that you're exposing your children to ideas that are bigger than them, that are newer, that are new to them and helping them join into like the great conversation in the world of talking about like ultimately when they're in high school and college, like big ideas that are important to like the development of human culture and, you know, individual nation culture and stuff. So it's very like kind of lofty type things and it can get like, a little bit, it can feel a little disjointed from the reality of like everyday home education. Um, But that's like where I geek out at. But really, you know, when you, those are the philosophies and then you've got like the application, like basically you're reading good books, you're treating your children like they are fully formed people, not just empty things for you to pour a bunch of facts into Um, and you're, and you're educating them in a way that does like just enliven their, their soul and helps them be engaged and excited and enthusiastic. And I think that's probably the best way to kind of summarize it. I don't know how much of a summary that was.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's important because we do really forget that we have options in education. I think that when you are coming out of the public school system and you're venturing into homeschool it's like you're leaving one country and you're coming into another country and there's yes. all of this the vernacular is different and the culture uh-huh. is different and so yep. if we don't if we don't have a basic understanding of these terms I think we can we can hear them and go oh yeah yeah but then it's like some of those words even as an adult I'm like I know what the word is but I couldn't give you a definition of it. And so I think yeah, that, yeah. W- one of the great things about homeschooling is that my children will say, what does that mean? Um, I know what it means, but I can't define it for you. And so that's it, in those moments, I geek out because I'm like, yes, we're both going to get educated here because
2: if right. I can't put it in a sentence, then do I, am I truly knowing what it is? That reminds me of just the idea behind like, Your listeners will have maybe heard of narration, but not necessarily know what that means or what the value of narration is. Well, you may have heard those words and you have like this kind of like functional knowing of it. But if you can't put it into words, you can't teach someone else. And so you don't truly know it. And and really like not being able to do like define a word or an idea to our children means that we haven't quite been educated in it yet. And we need to be able to narrate what we know to our children so that they can understand it and that they don't understand it until they can tell it back at like their own level. And so that's like a real life application of some of these lofty kind of ideas that feel with the vernacular, and everything, they feel very different. Calling it narration feels very different than just being like, tell me what you just learned. You know, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's and it it really is just like a bunch of different words. Potato, potato. Really,
1: yeah. Well, what's interesting is that as parents, we we have these beautiful little babies, and yes, they may keep us up all hours of the night, and we're exhausted, but we we do it all again, Mm -hmm. and we naturally are in a way transferring. Right, we're teaching our children without even. Recognizing that we're giving instruction, right? We teach right. them how to speak. We we demonstrate for them. We're constantly talking to them. Um, mm-hmm. I baby talked my dogs. I never baby talked my kids. Yep, <laughs> I just always talked to them, like even as infants. They just I just always assumed that they knew what I was saying, and that yes. has come back to bite me a little bit now that they are teenagers. But <laughs> we've had to revert a little bit but it's like this mindset that when they reach a certain age we feel like we're ill equipped to continue that natural process of learning and i have seen in my own experience that sometimes education can actually kill natural curiosity and the love of learning in children if mm-hmm. we're if we're not letting them explore and do things and just kind of making them fit into a mold, which is why I love homeschool and homeschooling, you know, your way, how, how it works for you and your family. So when a child reaches a certain age and for everyone, that's different, right? Because in some states, you don't even have to start recording that you're in school until like seven. And then right. I started preschool with my youngest when she was three. And that was partly just more daycare than anything. I'm, I'm just going to say yeah. it out loud in my own experience for me but when we start talking about preschool is yeah. there really is there really an age that that starts in the homeschool arena
2: if you can i guess de-school your yourself enough like kind of unpack what you believe education is and and get away from the whole sit down, workbook, textbook, writing things, testing, like that formulaic that we are like, if you went to public school, which is most of us, and even private school, if you went to a traditional school setting, that is automatically what we think of. And so if you think of school that way, then then really, you don't want to really start doing anything until they're like six or seven. That would be kind of what Charlotte Mason would say would be six. But if you look at living as an education, and that's what home education is, and it takes, I say, years and a lot of conscious and intentional effort to unpack all of that and get away from all those schoolish expectations and really start to see every experience and every moment as a way to educate your child. Then education starts from, you know, the, from birth, like you said, you went through, we teach them to speak, we teach them to eat, we teach them to use the potty. And if you can do those things, you can teach your child anything. If you can be patient enough and kind enough and faithful enough to teach your child those things, then there's nothing that you cannot teach them. And so when we think of like the, that kind of like formal preschool sit down type stuff, yes. Like that's more of don't do preschool if that's what you want to do for preschool just let them you know wait till they're ready for kindergarten first grade um for our philosophy of education when it comes to preschool we start around 2 or 3 because the goal is habit formation and character formation once our child has begun to really get control of like their limbs <laughs> like their body and they know how to feed themselves and they're able to go and you maybe be potty trained or maybe be potty learning. But when once they're at that point, then they can start to really pay attention to things that are outside of their body. I like to I like to think when I look back at all four of my children, they would go through these different seasons of like where they were very much in their body with a lot of physical development. And it seemed like language and those types of things kind of took a pause. They were having a big growth spurt. Their sleep patterns were changing. They were dropping a nap. They were eating a ton of stuff at one time. You know, when they go through those physical changes, they're not quite like I feel like in their in their head. But then all of a sudden, the physical will slow down and we get a ton of new oral Um, language and a bunch of new, like we go from, you know, short incomplete sentences to speaking in complete sentences and asking more questions and following three-step directions and all these different types of brain work type things. And so for me, whenever we see our children, Kind of like settle into their body, and a lot more of their development kind of shifts upstairs (laughs) into their minds. And they're starting to really have the language explosions and following longer directions and being more attentive when you're speaking to them, when they can repeat back to you what you've just said to them, those types of things in short phrases. um, Then to me, that's when you can start to do quote unquote preschool work and preschool again, as we define it, not sitting down and doing workbooks. Um, and so that, again, is all about character formation and habit formation for us, because the fact of the matter is your child does not need to know their alphabet until they're in you know kindergarten or first grade like that's you can expose them. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but the right expectation would be that who they're becoming, their ability to listen, to obey, to have self-control, to respect others um space to pick up after themselves to brush their teeth to take care of their bodies and, and understand who their family is who their community is where they belong in the world who's a safe person who's not a safe person how does my body work where does my food go when i eat all these different things about existing as a human are so much more important than abcs and one two threes like when it's time for them to learn that they're going to learn it for the most part unremarkably with very little effort. Um, But the other things being being a healthy, emotionally healthy um, person that has good manners and uh, has developed strong character virtue and, and the foundation of all of those things like that's that's harder <laughs> than learning the ABCs and one, two, three. Self-control is harder than the alphabet. Um, and that's why you have adults like me that still struggle with self-control. But, you know, I know my ABCs and one, two, threes. Um, and so that's that's our kind of like hallmark for when you would start is when you see them kind of coming out of all this intense physical development and you start seeing them follow the three-step directions and have a lot more like kind of that verbal explosion that happens. And even then I would say there, we went through seasons with my boys, especially cause I was a lot more attuned to them as an educator um, where we would have like seasons where we spent a lot of time on some memorization, like in our home as Christians, we memorize God's word from an early age. Um, but then also like affirming character statements and affirming manners and hygiene statements where they could recite those and we could kind of implement those and watch those play out in our day in like a very real applicable way. And then they would go through seasons where they were back in their body again and they were eating five times as much food and their sleep patterns were changing and stuff. And so we would do a little less of that kind of work and just more of, you know, just letting them be because they weren't going to really get much out of it at that moment. So does that make sense? It does. I think our society has devalued the
1: idea of seasons. I mean, we don't, we don't follow food in seasons anymore because to us it's available year round, even though if we actually ate seasonally, we probably would be in a better place. Um, in our, in our health than we are currently, we really don't give cadence to even like time change and seasons when there's less daylight. We, we still, we still keep the same amount of hours. We still keep the same amount of sleep unless you're like me. And you're like, you know what, I'm just giving into this and I'm going to have <laughs> to sleep more in the winter. Yeah. Um, But, but really what you're talking about is being intentional with the seasons in our children as they are going through their different development stages. And yes. I would say that there are some parents who understand on a surface level, and they're not even really paying attention to the fact that they're understanding that and they're moving through it. But mm-hmm. I know that you and I both have seen in our own lives that when we recognize something and then in, we are intentional to yeah. honor it, it changes um exponentially. And that is so exciting. I think as a parent, even then now, as I have teenagers and, and young adults, they're, you know, getting ready to move on. I mean, I know we're talking about preschool, but really we're talking about the whole process, the whole child. And when we see that, you know, there are times when they, that, that phase, when they're like, they ask why about everything. Mm -hmm. And now we know in our society, we have more education to say, okay, instead of getting frustrated as a parent, really take this and capitalize on their curiosity and create a space where they know if they don't know something, they can come and ask us. And if we don't know it, we can go find the answer. I mean, that's the holistic approach to education, right? It's not just, don't ask me about that. I need you to learn this. And instead it's like, ask me about that I'll sneak in some of the other stuff that maybe we feel like needs to happen at the same time, but it's really honoring the seasons and the development. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I feel like most people in America read what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah. And we, I mean, we're on there, even though we've read it, we're back on there in the same week, like what's happening with my baby right now. And, And so we honor those seasons, even as they are developing inside of us. And I think it would be beneficial for people to remember to honor those seasons as they are developing from birth all the way into adulthood. And I would even argue as adults, we need to continue to honor those seasons for us. But recognizing that there are times where they are naturally more curious because their energy isn't spent in growing bones and Mm -hmm. All of those other things, and then you know their mind is expanding. So I really like how you um, how you put that together. That those two things are, you know, one energy has to be used. They're, what is that? Um, energy is neither created nor destroyed. So it right. just moves, right? So we need to be mindful of that. You've been asking for it, and now we have it. Payment plans. Bookshark now offers an in-house, no interest no-fee payment plan that spreads your payments over three, six, even nine months. You'll see this new option when you check out. Select credit card, then choose payment plan. You'll still get your curriculum immediately with speedy FedEx shipping, but you won't have to pay the full amount all at once. What a relief to the budget, right? Find details, restrictions, plus a payment plan calculator on the Bookshark website. Under about. We're making it easier than ever to fit the best secular literature-based curriculum into your budget. So when we're talking about readiness and we see those and we can honor those things as we see our child developing, let's talk about the habit forming. What does that look like at this age?
2: So the way that we do things in our in our home and in our program like general classical preschool is that we pick just a few um, things to focus on at a time because habits are developed through repetition and intentionality. We're always developing habits. It's just whether we're developing the habits that we want to develop or not. So we pick, um, I know in, in our preschool program, because I feel like just fundamentally, these are the three most important ones is um, attention and. Um, self-control and obedience, I believe, because you can't obey until you can pay attention. Like you can't do what someone told you to do if you can't sit there and actually listen to what they're telling you to do. So those are three kind of like character habits that we want to develop. So it's so important um, to have a definition for what a character trait is. Um, I'm just trying to think like, I have self-control. I think before I act and I put others first. I have self-control. We even have a song for it. And so like it just giving our children like not just have self-control or be attentive, but be attentive. Listen with your eyes, your ears and your heart like being able to have those very short statements that not only help you to explain what your actual expectation is from this word but then be able to like very specifically indicate like what is self control like i think first before i act and i can put other people first like i can hold myself back and put other people first and just having those working definitions, like as an adult, I mean, like when I was exposed to the idea of having actual working definitions for character traits, like my mind was blown. It, it made those character traits more tangible to me in some way like i kind of like kind of like you were talking about like i know what self-control means but i can't define to you well we need to be able to define to them any type of character that we want them to have so that they can say what it is that we're shooting for and then we use those definitions over and over and over again so throughout and and it might be for a whole like three-month period we're going to work on attention. Okay. Are you looking at me with your eyes or do I have your ears? Do I have your heart? You know, and every time you're really trying to talk to your child, I'm requiring the attention of those three things to help them develop the habit of all through all of it, my eyes, my ears, and my heart are all focused on mom right now are all focused on dad, because they're telling me something that I need to listen to. And, Just those definitions have been um, kind of like so we have definitions for every type of virtue imaginable because we want we want parents to have the language to help their child develop the skill because that's very important. We're giving our children language. So a lot of times we think once our kid gets to that, like. I guess maybe around four a lot of times, they have a very good, strong command of the English language. They may still glide and have some speech things, but they do fully understand so much and they're able to articulate so much. But our job with helping them develop language is not done at that point at all, because there are still so many concepts that they still need some teeth to it they need the words to put some teeth to it and they can't know what it is if they don't if they can't define it just like we can't know it either um and so that's that's what the habit formation is for us is understanding what the habit is that we're shooting for being able to define the habit and then habitually repeating that over and over and over again until it's time to maybe move on where they seems like they have a good command of attentiveness or self-control And then so those are our virtue habits that we focus on. And those take much longer than something like I can brush my teeth, right, or I can brush my hair, I can put my pants on by myself, those types of things. So then we have like a manners and hygiene type thing where that's our intentional focus about those types of things like self-care and then, you know, not interrupting people when they speak or. Um, you know, having like self, you know, applying self-control situationally, how do we, how do we have self-control at the dinner table? How do we have self-control out in public? Those types of things. Um, and just taking one thing at a time and then consistently repeating that intentionally, giving them language for it, getting the language for it ourselves, and then living that out until that is now a habit in our home now we're going to go to the next thing and that's like redemptive for all of us like i don't know how much more character i have developed not just through the trials of parenthood but through intentionally helping my children also develop character and in getting those meaty definitions and kind of like working that out in our everyday lives
1: and i think you are speaking directly to this It's it's not a new idea, but it's a concept that I think a lot of people haven't heard, although we're finding out it's not, it's kind of coming back, is emotional intelligence. Because we can, like you had given the example, like you can know your ABCs and your numbers, but if you don't know how to put those into everyday practice – they, they really have no value. And as you were talking about the different things for preschool, I I just was reminiscing of my own children. And I feel like, wow, I feel like I do that with teenagers again. And I think I I feel like I do that with myself constantly as well. So it, it's like if they get it as a foundation and then we will be, it does cycle back through, right? Like throughout oh, yeah. <laughs> each phase, it will never... Yes. We'll never get out of it, but we also don't want to. We want to have those type of character traits that do make us good citizens and solid individuals and um, the type of people that we want to be around.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's important. I mean, that's the ultimate... Goal is raising children that have a place in the world, that are responsible citizens of the our country that are kind and generous and loving and um that do what they say that they're gonna do. Like, you know, they're not no one's ever gonna be perfect, but we want to give them all of the tools, the more positive habits that our child has, because again, if you're not giving them positive habits, they're gonna develop habits. And some of them may be positive, but if you're not being intentional about it, it's more than likely because I know my natural inclinations are most often not positive. Like my natural inclination is not to go to the gym and work out. Um, And so I have to kind of like overcome what my own little lazy body wants to do and go do the thing, have the positive habits. So left to their own devices, most of their habits will not be positive. They are going to develop habits in every single aspect of their life. So the more we can help them understand and bring into submission and bring into practice really positive, basic character attributes, then they're able to apply those in different areas. And I think it's very true. There's about like the seasonality and then the um, how we have to repeat these things as they go through. I think we both have a three thing as we go through these different developmental stages where, yes, I am, you know, I've just finished working with my, my first grader again on attentiveness. We we never, my house is filled with ADHD. We never stop talking about learning how to focus and, and taking our thoughts like captive and like dialing in on that thing we need to be paying attention to for a few moments and then exercising the ability to do that. But I mean, I've struggled the same way with my teenagers, even though they've been hearing the same things for years. So it's like they go through seasons of being able to focus. And then they go, then life happens and they get out of that habit. Something interferes with that habit. Maybe TikTok would be a thing that interferes with a habit of attention. And then we have to relearn that habit again and redefine it. And when you continue to redefine it as they're older, you can get more in depth. And then you're applying these teachable moments in their reality as a teenager, not just the reality of a preschooler. And that's so needful. Like our children are not, you know, even their brain's not even done until they're 25. Um, And I feel like my brain's not done at 41. So which it may just be in degradation now, I guess. But
1: (laughs) yeah, I'm constantly (laughs) telling telling my girls, I'm like, I think what I said just fell through one of your holes. So I think (laughs) I have to say it again. And then, yeah, I think once a time, by the time the holes close, it starts to break down.
2: So it's really... It's really like never... one peak here. Yeah. yeah. One peak here and then it's all downhill. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, that sounds a little bit
1: Debbie Downer, but it probably is very true in a sense. Yes. But um <laughs> but yeah, I think that it is so important as parents who are choosing to homeschool, they're coming in whether they've been doing it for a long time or they're new to it, to just know that some things that are the most important are not necessarily academic. And it's like, why, how can you say that? Because the things that you're saying, when you have those habit forms, so habits, forming habits, I have one who is just naturally a great keeper of time. She does Mm -hmm. not need help to manage really anything. She's just naturally innate for her. And her twin is the complete opposite. She, it's like, it's like somehow it, it broke up and one got these extremes in, in my children. But, and it's like, she gets frustrated with me even now at almost 18 when I'm constantly like, Hey, check it in. Where are you at with that? And the answer is she needs to be doing it, but she doesn't want to admit at this point that she needs to be doing it. But that's yeah. what was it. That's what it was like when she was four too. I mean, there yes. are some things yes. that there are some things that we're never going to master because of personality and traits, but it doesn't mean we give up and just yeah. say, oh, well, that's that's just not how we operate. So I guess it's gonna be okay. But I think that going back to your, your attention and hearing with your eyes, your ears and your heart, how many times can you and I listen to something with our focus, we, we appear to be focused. We even yeah. appear to be listening. And yet I am making a list of things I'm doing later. Like yeah. I, I am so guilty of it. And when you said not interrupting people, I get really passionate when I'm at, when I'm in conversations and I want to <laughs> jump in. And and my husband had to point out to me. He was like, "You know, you interrupt people quite a bit." And I I was like, Ugh. that was hard to hear, but but needed. I do it, was it very too. Very much yeah. needed. <clears throat> and it was spoken in love, which I appreciate. And so I am I am more aware of it. I still do it, but I am definitely doing it less. I'm more aware. But these are skills that nobody ever sat down and said, hey, Jana, we know you have a lot to say and you're going to contribute a lot when you say it, but you need to just wait. You need to really be listening. Instead of forming formulating your reply, you need to listen. And again, I think in our society as a whole, we don't value the pause. There is no time for pause. And so when we can take a step back and go, okay, that's like, I see why now people have like, a second set of children, right? Like you think that they're done but then they start over and you're like, that's us. Why? Yes. Why would you do that? <laughs> but I I you know, the more I learn, I'm like, oh, I would have done things so differently. And so I think part of the beauty of having conversations like this is that okay, I'm not going to start over. I'm good. <laughs> like, I hopefully will be a valuable resource to my children when they decide to have children. Mm-hmm. But we can then tell people who are just coming into it, like, hey, yeah, maybe we did or didn't do it, or you know, have you ever thought of it this way? And and this is why. So again, when people hear preschool, they think academics and and learning in a in a traditional way. To me, mm-hmm. preschool is
2: all the time. Well, I love what you talked about about, you know part of our culture, like no one ever sat down and said to us, you know, your example about interrupting people. And so we like to go one step further and not just say, because I am like the world's, I'm so keen on my kids not interrupting because I'm so bad about it. But, and I think too, like some of it's just how your brain works. Like if you have a very fast paced brain, I've already moved through what I believe you're going to say. I have finished it out in reality and I'm now responding to it. And, and me and my sister both finish people's sentences all the time. And my husband's freaked out by the accuracy. Like I've never finished, I could finish a stranger's sentence and I'm not going to have gotten it wrong. Like I'm a hundred percent on that, which is rude. And you should not finish people's sentences, but it's just like, you know, my brain already got there. Um, But teaching our kids what to do. So, okay, not just saying it is rude to interrupt and we want to let people finish, but giving them the steps to help manage their thoughts while they wait for the other person to finish. Like keep listening because they may say something that's different than what you thought. Or if you want to take some notes while someone is speaking to you, because you think you hear a couple of things and you want to kind of be able to say, address each of those things, then take notes. Like you always, you know, our teenagers, you always have your phone with you. Um, And then like, you know, put those things like in your pocket, like put it in your pocket, like just because you... You think it doesn't mean you have to say it. You need to finish listening first. And so put those things like in a little brain pouch and hold on to them and then try really hard to keep listening because my kids all have to some degree, some level of ADHD and they get it so honest for my husband and myself to different degrees. And like they just don't understand how to hold on to to a thought. In and wait on the other person to finish their thought. And I understand that because I struggle with it too. I have to take notes. Every time you say something that I want to respond to, I have to write a note about it, or I will never, by the time you get done talking, I will not listen to you if I want to hold on to it. And if I do listen to you, it will absolutely be gone. And so just helping them, like, first of all, relate to them. But like, I'm I do that too. Like, I understand why you struggle with that habit, but this is how I cope with the habit. So, being self aware and then using what you've learned to be very intentional, in instructing your children and how to overcome whatever, you know, bad habits they may have. But helping them develop that at the preschool age, just that ability to like talk about emotions, talk about um, character and habits and all those types of things from like, that being part of the culture of your home, that you're setting that tone of humility because mommy does it too, and this is how I do it, and just being able to admit wrong doing or unhealthy habits or unkind habits or whatever they may be, um, and just being able to like dialogue that with your child from that age, it just helps them become so self aware and so intentional as they get older. And honestly, I think there is no greater gift than that. Um, just because then they can be a good neighbor, no matter what their degree ends up being in or what their job ends up being.
1: I would also add that when I stop myself from interrupting and I, I, I literally like put my brain on pause. Like I almost like, okay, that's my coping skill, right? Like pause it let him finish, then you can replay. I find that I don't need to say what I was going to say some of the time. And Mm -hmm. really that I think if you ask my family, that makes me a better person to be around (laughs) because-
2: Agreed, yeah.
1: Yeah, because I'm not always like coming off as, oh, I know more or what, you know, ask another question and and it can just personally come off as a know-it-all. And that's yeah. not my heart or my intention. And I don't want children. I don't want to produce children that walk around that think they know everything and they are going to educate everybody on everything. So it, <laughs> it's an interesting, I mean, I think we could probably do a whole podcast on that alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be better people. But I'm going to ask you one more thing, and that is to share a homeschool hack.
2: My favorite homeschool hack, and this is kind of something that I say over and over and over again in all kinds of different ways and all the teacher's guides for our program, different programs, is just own your authority as a homeschool parent. Your home, your home is yours. And therefore, the education that takes place in it is yours as well. And so and I know this can vary by state based on regulations. So I will throw that little disclaimer up. And I sometimes forget that I live in Alabama. And so we have basically no regulations to really speak of whatsoever. So we don't ever have to do testing or anything like that. But to the extent that you are legally able to own the authority over your, your home education experience. Um, make it work for you. Even when it comes to, and I say this in our curriculum like over and over and over again, like this is a guide, this is a suggested roadmap of education, but there it is not lined with barbed wire and electric fences. Like you can go off the path, you can go a fork, you can stop for a while. Like there's no particular pace. Like Whatever, no matter what it is, whether it's those core subjects like reading and math or fun stuff like science and history, make it your own, make it fit your children's needs, the needs in your family, the culture of your family, and, and, and that makes it so unique and so much more memorable to them, and it and it creates an environment of a living education, not one where mom feels trapped. The curriculum says do this; we have to do this today. Well, if you want to chase a, chase a trail that has popped up, chase the trail that has popped up, and then still mark that you finish that lesson and go to the next one, or pick it back up the next day. There's there's as long as you are faithfully educating your children, then you're not going to be doing it wrong. And you can let go of all the constraints and the pressure and the fear and the expectation that comes along with this idea of not doing it right. Just like let that go and just enjoy all of the freedom that you get to have when you're homeschooling.
1: The super important thing to remember, I think, regardless of how long you've been doing this, because I think we can kind of forget as we get into rhythms and seasons, and we kind of have to be reminded of those basic um, tenets of why we choose to homeschool and what it really does afford us. Erin, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. If someone wants to get in touch with you, read more about um, your curriculum, where could they find you?
2: Um the easiest thing to do is just go to shopgentleclassical.com. We have um, that. Our blog is linked there as well. And then all of our teachers guides are free. So if someone wants to kind of figure out what we're all about and learn more, they can download those completely for free in their entirety. And um, they can also email us and contact us through that as well. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook. And um, it's like gentle, Underscore classical underscore press on Instagram or just search, you know, classical pretty much anywhere and we will pop up.
1: Great. We'll also put that information in the show notes. We want to thank you guys for listening today. Erin, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you, Jana. I really appreciate it. Until next time, bye bye.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.